Al-Bayan Radio presents the following lesson from Masjid Al-Azhar, Bilmo. Bismillah, walhamdulillah, as-salatu wassalamu ala rasulillah, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Alhamdulillah, al-ladhi ballagana hadha, hadhihi al-ayyam. هذا الموسم من مواسم الخيرات نحن الآن بحمد الله تعالى نعيش في هذه الأيام العشر هذه الأيام أيها الإخوة من الأيام الفاضلة من مواسم الخيرات من من الأزمنة التي فضلها الله سبحانه وتعالى على غيرها من الأزمان كما فاضل الله عز وجل بين خلقه وبين الأماكن وأيضا فاضل الله بين الأزمنة فالله عز وجل فاضل بين خلقه فجعل الأنبياء خير الخلق حتى أن الله عز وجل فاضل بين الأنبياء قال الله عز وجل تلك الرسل فضلنا بعضهم على بعض منهم من كلم الله ورفع بعضهم درجات فآتينا عيسى ابن مريم البينات وأيدناه بروح القدس إذا بنص الله عز وجل فالله عز وجل فاضل بين أنبيائه أيضا فاضل الله سبحانه وتعالى بين الأمكن فجعل البيت الحرام هو خير بقاع الأرض النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم لما خرج من مكة أو لما أخرج من مكة التفت إلى مكة وقال والله إنك لأحب البلاد إلى الله وأحب البلاد إلي ولولا أن قومك أخرجوني, أخرجوني منك ما خرجت فالكعبة والمسجد الحرام من أعظم وأفضل البقاع على وجه الأرض والصلاة في المسجد الحرام تفضل أو تعدل مئة ألف صلاة على سواه من المساجد ثم يأتي بعد المسجد الحرام المسجد النبوي الذي جعل الله سبحانه وتعالى الصلاة فيه تعدل ألف صلاة فيما سواه من المساجد ثم بعد ذلك المسجد الأقصى وفضل الله سبحانه وتعالى بين الأزمنة فضل الله سبحانه وتعالى شهر رمضان على بقية الشهور فضل الله شهر رمضان 
على بقية الشهور وفضل الله سبحانه وتعالى يوم الجمعة على غيره من الأيام وفضل الله سبحانه وتعالى عشر ذي الحجة على غيرها من الأيام فهذه الأيام يا عباد الله هي أفضل أيام الدنيا هي أفضل أيام الدنيا مما يدل على فضيلتها أن الله سبحانه وتعالى أقسم بها في كتابه والله عز وجل لا يقسم بشيء إلا للدلالة على فضله وميزته واختصاصه فالله سبحانه وتعالى أقسم بالعصر وأقسم بالفجر وأقسم بهذه الأيام في سورة الفجر قال الله سبحانه وتعالى والفجر وليال عشر وجمهور المفسرين على أنها هي أيام أيام عشر ذي الحجة أيام عشر ذي الحجة وذكرها الله سبحانه وتعالى في سورة الحج قال الله سبحانه وتعالى وأذن في الناس بالحج يأتوك رجالا وعلى كل ضامر يأتين من كل فج عميق ليشهدوا منافع لهم ويذكر اسم الله في أيام معلومات على ما رزقهم من بهيمة الأنعام فكلوا منها وأطعموا البائس الفقير فالله سبحانه وتعالى قال ويذكر ويذكر اسم الله في أيام معلومات في أيام معلومات هذه الأيام المعلومات هي أيام عشر ذي الحجة إذا انظروا إلى بيان فضلها في كتاب الله سبحانه وتعالى أما في السنة يكفينا يا عباد الله أن نذكر حديث ابن عباس رضي الله تعالى عنه في فضلها فعن ابن عباس قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ما من أيام العمل الصالح فيها أحب إلى الله من هذه الأيام يعني أيام العشر قالوا ولا الجهاد في سبيل الله قال ولا الجهاد في سبيل الله إلا رجل خرج بنفسه وماله ثم لم يرجع من ذلك بشيء هذا الحديث حديث عظيم في بيان فضل العمل الصالح في هذه الأيام العشر أولا يقرر النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم حقيقة ربما غابت عن كثير من الناس أن العمل الصالح في هذه الأيام لا يعدله أي عمل صالح في غيرها من الأيام فالعمل لنأخذ مثالا الصلاة في هذه الأيام أفضل من الصلاة في غيرها من الأيام الصيام في هذه الأيام أفضل من الصيام في غيرها من الأيام يعني الفريضة فيها أعظم من الفريضة في غيرها النافلة فيها 
أعظم من النافلة في غيرها صيام النفل فيها أعظم من الصيام من صيام النفل في غيرها بر الوالدين فيها أعظم من بر الوالدين في غيرها صلاة الأرحام فيها أعظم من صلاة الأرحام في غيرها زيارة المريض فيها أعظم من زيارة المريض في غيرها إدخال السرور على مسلم فيها أعظم من إدخال السرور على المسلم في غيرها وعد ذلك من الأعمال أي عمل صالح في هذه الأيام أفضل من العمل الصالح في غيرها ونبينا صلى الله عليه وسلم لم يبين لنا عظم العمل يعني لم يبين مقدار هذا الثواب فيها وذلك يدل على عظم الثواب فيها على عظم الثواب فيها فانظروا إلى قول النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم ما من أيام العمل الصالح فيها أحب إلى الله من هذه الأيام فالصحابة رضوان الله عليهم ذكروا عملا يعلمون يعلمون من من خلال أحاديث النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أنه من أعظم الأعمال ألا وهو الجهاد في سبيل الله فقالوا ولا الجهاد في سبيل الله قال ولا الجهاد في سبيل الله إلا رجل خرج بنفسه وماله فلم يرجع من ذلك بشيء فإذا يعني العلماء يقولون العجب كل العجب أنه كيف أن الناس يجتهدون في رمضان ويجتهدون في العشر الأواخر من رمضان ما لا يجتهدون في هذه الأيام العشر مع أن الاجتهاد في هذه الأيام العشر والعمل الصالح فيها أعظم من الأيام العشر من الأيام يعني العشر الأواخر من رمضان فاجتهدوا يا عباد الله يعني أي عمل صالح تيسر لكم فقوموا به والإمام ابن حجر يقول لعل العلة في تفضيلها أنها اجتمع فيها أم العبادات يعني في هذه العشر تؤدى فريضة الحج تؤدى فريضة الصلاة يصام فيها يتصدق فيها وهذه لا تجتمع في يعني لا تستطيع أن تؤدي الحج في وقت آخر ولا تستطيع أن تؤدي الأضحية في وقت آخر فاجتمعت فيها أم العبادات النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم لم لم يذكر ولم يعني يوجهنا إلى عمل خاص إلا عمل إلا عملا واحدا في هذه الأيام ألا وهو الذكر يعني يقول النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم ما من أيام 
أعظم عند الله ما من أيام أعظم عند الله ولا أحب إليه ولا أحب إليه العمل العمل فيهن من هذه الأيام العشر فأكثر فيها من التهليل والتكبير والتحميل النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وجهنا إلى الإكثار من 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 هذه الأذكار التكبير التهليل التكبير والتحميد وهذه مجموعة في التكبير الذي نقوله في يوم العيد وعقب الصلوات الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله الله أكبر الله أكبر ولله الحمد لكن الناس يقتصرون على هذا الذكر عقب الصلوات يعني من بعد صلاة الفجر يوم عرفة إلى آخر أيام التشريق إلى صلاة العصر من آخر أيام التشريق لكن لكن السنة أن نكثر من هذا الذكر وكان الصحابة رضوان الله عليهم يكبرون ويهللون ويحمدون ويحمدون الله عز وجل ويقولون هذا الذكر من أول أيام العشر ثبت عن أبي هريرة وابن عمر رضي الله تعالى عنهما أنهما كانوا يخرجان إلى السوق فيكبران ويكبر الناس بتكبيرهم فيعني يستحب أن تذكر الله بهذا الذكر في أي وقت تسنى لك في هذه الأيام العشر يعني خرجت من البيت يعني قل هذا الذكر الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله الله أكبر ولله الحمد ذهبت إلى السوق ذهبت إلى العمل جئت إلى البيت يعني كنت في السيارة أكثر من هذا الذكر وهذا وذكر الله عز وجل هو من أحب الأعمال إلى الله سبحانه وتعالى لما جاء رجل إلى النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وقال له إن شرائع الإسلام كثرت علي فدلني على عمل أتشبث به قال لا لا يزال لسانك رطبا بذكر الله بذكر الله وليس هناك عمل أنجى من من عذاب الله من ذكر الله سبحانه وتعالى فأكثر من ذكر الله سبحانه وتعالى أيضا أيها الإخوة يذكرون يعني انظروا إلى اهتمام السلف رحمة الله عليهم بهذه العشر يذكرون عن سعيد بن جبير رضي الله تعالى عنه وهو من سادات التابعين يذكرون عنه أنه كان يعني يشتهد اجتهادا شديدا في هذه العشر اجتهادا شديدا حتى ما كاد يقدر عليه يعني يجتهد إلى يعني إلى الغاية القصوى من قدرته حتى ما كاد يقدر عليه وكانت نصيحته للأمة كان يقول لا تطفئوا سروجكم 
يعني في هذه الأيام العشر لا تطفئوا سروجكم يعني لا تطفئوا لا تطفئوا الأنوار معناها أيها الإخوة أي لا تناموا في هذه الليالي وهذه دلالة على فضلها اغتنموا هذه الفرصة لا يعني لا لن تتكرر في بقية السنة فيقول اغتنموا هذه العشر لا تناموا فيها نحن لا نقول لا تناموا فيها لكن ليكن للواحد منكم نصيب من الصلاة في هذه يعني الليالي والعلماء قالوا لياليها يعني نها يعني أيامها سواء يعني في النهار أو في الليل سواء في الفضل سواء في الفضل يعني اغتنم ساعاتها في النهار واغتنم أيضا ساعاتها في الليل اغتنم ساعاتها في النهار إما بالصيام إما يعني بصلة الأرحام بزيارة القبور يعني بمساعدة الناس واغتنم ساعاتها في الليل بكراءة القرآن وبالوقوف بين يدي الله سبحانه وتعالى فهكذا كانت هذه كانت وصية وصية سعيد بن جبير رضي الله تعالى عنه لا لا تطفئوا سروجكم في هذه في هذه الأيام هذه الأيام يعني اشتملت يا عباد الله على يوم عرفة على يوم عرفة الذي يقول فيه النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم ما من يوم أكثر من أن يعتق الله عبدا فيه من النار من يوم عرفة وإنه ليدني ثم يباهي هذا اليوم هو يوم عظيم جدا جدا عند الله عز وجل لعظمته يعني يعتق الله سبحانه وتعالى فيه عبيدا من النار وأسأل الله أن نكون منهم ما لا يعتق في غيره من الأيام فلا تنسوا أيضا فضيلة هذا اليوم وحدثوا يعني وحدثوا زوجاتكم وأولادكم عن فضل هذا اليوم وشجعوهم على صيامه سعيد بن جبير يقول يعني أيقظوا خدمكم يعني واطلبوا منهم أن يتسحروا لصيام هذا اليوم فحدثوهم عن فضيلة هذا اليوم الذي قال فيه النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم لما سئل عن صيامه فقال يكفر الله به السنة الماضية والسنة الباقية هذه الأيام العشر اشتملت على يوم هو أفضل أيام الدنيا أفضل أيام الدنيا يقول النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم إن أعظم الأيام عند الله تعالى يوم النحر ثم يوم القر يوم النحر تعرفون أنه يوم العيد هذا أعظم يوم عند الله سبحانه وتعالى ويوم القر هو ثاني أيام العيد عندما عندما يعني يقر الحجاج في منى 
فيوم العيد وهو يعني آخر أيام العشر هو أفضل أيام الدنيا فيه يرمي الحجاج جمرة العقبة فيه يعني يتقربون إلى الله سبحانه وتعالى بذبح الأضاحي أو بذبح يعني الأضحية وهذا في كل بلاد الأرض يتقرب الناس بهذا العمل وسيتكلم إن شاء الله يعني المشايخ عن فضيلة الأضحية يحلق الحجاج رؤوسهم أو يقصرون ثم يفيضون إلى بيت الله سبحانه وتعالى فهذا اليوم هو يوم الحج الأكبر الذي ذكره الله سبحانه وتعالى في القرآن وأذان من الله ورسوله إلى الناس يوم الحج الأكبر أن الله بريء من المشركين ورسوله فهذه نبذة عن فضيلة هذه الأيام لا تنسوا يا عباد الله يعني أكثر فيها من العمل الصالح فهو باب من أبواب الخيرات فتحه الله سبحانه وتعالى لخلقه ولعباده وللمجتهدين من خلقه أسأل الله سبحانه وتعالى أن يوفقنا لفعل الخيرات في هذه العشر وأسأل الله سبحانه وتعالى أن يتقبل منا ومنكم صالح القول والعمل وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه معي جزاك الله خيرا شيخنا الشيخ خالد على هذه الكلمات We praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala We ask Allah to send him upon his final messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam I will just translate quickly the opening remarks of our dear beloved Sheikh Sheikh Khalid Isa in uh, opening and giving an introduction to this seminar So first of all he spoke about yani, the, the blessing of these 10 days of Dhul Hijjah and the blessing of the rituals that are performed in this day in these days First of all, we must know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in His knowledge, in His wisdom, and in His mercy, He has made certain things more blessed, certain things more virtuous. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen of mankind that which is more virtuous. Allah has chosen the prophets among human beings to be more virtuous than others and selected them from among humankind to be His messengers. And even Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given certain virtues to some prophets over others. As Allah mentioned in the Qur'an, Such other messengers we preferred some over others. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has also blessed and made virtuous certain places over other places. So for example, the holy house of Allah in Mecca is the best place in the whole world. When the messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam he was expelled from Mecca. He turned back looking for the last time to Mecca until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed him with the conquest. He said, indeed, you are the most beloved lands to Allah and the most beloved lands to me. And had, you not, had not your people expelled me from it, I would not have left. And the Prophet wasallam he mentioned that prayer in Mecca Count for a hundred thousand prayers if they were to be prayed in another place. 
and after it comes in virtue is Masjid al-Nabawi in al-Madinah which counts for a thousand and then after it comes Masjid al-Aqsa in Jerusalem as well Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has favored certain times for example as, as, a, uh, as a month Allah has favored the month of Ramadan and as a day of the week Allah has favored the day of Friday and as special days Allah has favored the special days of Dhul Hijjah and they are as described by the Prophet ﷺ, the best days of the whole world. The best days of the year that you can ever come across. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sworn an oath by them in the Quran. And Allah doesn't swear by anything except that it reflects its virtue and its greatness. Allah ta'ala he says, ashr, By the Fajr and by the ten nights. And the scholars of tafsir are almost unanimous in agreement that they refer to the first 10 days of the hijjah And Allah also says in Surah Al-Hajj, وَأَذِّمْ فِي الْحَجِّ يَأْتُوكَ رِجَالًا وَعَلَى كُلِّ ضَامِرٍ يَأْتُونَ مِنْ كُلِّ فَجٍّ عَمِيقٍ لِيَشْهَدُوا مَنَافِعَ لَهُمْ وَيَذْكُرُوا اسْمَ اللَّهِ فِي أَيَّامٍ مَعْلُومَاتٍ Well, Allah Ta'ala he says, and call out to the people for hajj, that will come to you walking and on every animal, every riding animal that will come from every corner of the world so that they can witness the benefits to them and so that they can remember the name of Allah in known days. And the the scholars, they said that the known days are the first 10 days of the Hijjah. The Prophet Muhammad he said, there are no days in which the righteous actions are more beloved to Allah than the 10 days of the Hijjah. So whatever action, the Prophet ﷺ did not specify any action. He said, any good deeds that you do. So if you pray, for example, pray in these 10 days is more virtuous, more rewarding than pray in any other time. If you were to do extra fasting, fasting in this time is more virtuous than fasting in any other time. Giving charity, giving charity now in these blessed days is more virtuous, more rewarding than any other time. Uh, helping your fellow Muslim, bringing happiness to their hearts, anything that you can do of good deeds, to do it now, in these blessed days, is more virtuous than any other days. The scholars, they said, it is amazing how you find people putting so much effort in Ramadan, and especially in the last 10 days of Ramadan, and they don't put such effort in these first 10 days of the Hijjah. Uh, Ibn Hajar, rahimahullah, he mentions, that perhaps the reason why these days, these 10 days of Dhul Hijjah are so virtuous is because all worships, all different types of worship culminate in these days. And of the greatest things is that the Hajj is performed in these days, in the days of Dhul Hijjah, beginning from the 8th day of Dhul Hijjah and so on. And there is so much acts of worship that are happening in those days not happening in any other days in terms of prayer and fasting and charity and so on. And of course the Hajj which cannot be performed in any other days other than these days. And the Messenger wasallam he said, there are no days in which actions are more beloved to Allah, are greater or more beloved to Allah than these 10 days. And so as I just mentioned that the Prophet wasallam did not specify any act of worship generally. But in this hadith, he, he gives one recommendation, the only act of worship that he encouraged to do, other than just generally do whatever is easy and, and, and whatever you can do are good deeds, 
he said, فأكثر من التهليل والتكبير والتحميد. Be excessive in saying تهليل, saying لا إله إلا الله. And saying takbir, Allahu Akbar. And saying tahmeed, which is alhamdulillah. So la ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar, and alhamdulillah. And a way that that can be done is said in what we all know as takbirul eid. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. La ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, walillahi alhamd. So you see this. Takbir al-Eid is comprised of these three phrases. La ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar, and alhamdulillah. And, uh, and you find many people only doing these takbirs, only beginning, for example, from the Fajr of Yom Arafah and after the prayers. You don't find people generally doing tak- much takbir, or maybe a little bit on the day of Eid, or the prayers that are related, or after the obligatory prayers in the days after Eid. Whereas the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, they used to do these takbirs from the beginning of Dhul Hijjah. It's narrated that uh, the Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu, he used to do it so much that he used to purposely walk through the marketplaces making the takbir to remind the people and the people used to then remember and do takbir just like Abu Hurairah was doing takbir. And so they would do takbir like he's doing takbir. So this takbir is one of the greatest deeds that you can do because it's one of the easiest deeds to do. One of the companions, radiallahu anhum, he came to the Messenger وسلم, and he said, the commands of Islam have become too much for me. Prayer, fasting, charity, commanding good, forbidding evil, so many things, I don't know what to do and I'm, I'm unable to do all of them. Teach me something simple that I can do. The Prophet وسلم, he said, Make sure that your tongue is not moist. It is always make sure your tongue is always moist with the remembrance of Allah. And yani always let your tongue be remembering Allah. Say Subhanallah, Alhamdulillah, La ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar. Whatever you're doing, as you're walking, as you're driving, as you're working, whatever you're doing, always remember Allah. So this is generally in life, but especially in these ten days that we are in these righteous deeds, because the dhikr it's not something simple. A lot of people, they see it as something insignificant. It is a great deed and something that will give great rewards for a person. A way of glorifying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your heart. And the shaykh, he mentioned that there is nothing that will save a person more than... Uh, uh, nothing that will save a person more from the, from the hellfire other than the remembrance of Allah. And there are many ahadith about that, that there is... That in the remembrance of Allah, it is more rewarding than spending gold and silver and, and doing so many good deeds, even in fighting in jihad, than doing dhikrullah. Sa'id ibn Jubayr, he said, uh, he used to, Sa'id ibn Jubayr was one of the righteous salaf. He wasn't, he came after the companions, but he was known for his great uh, uh, worship and his great uh, devotion to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He used to put so much effort in worship during the first 10 days of the Hijjah until he could barely keep up, he could barely cope with it. He used to say, do not extinguish your lights in these 10 days. Meaning, keep your light on, keep your worship going. Pretty much he's saying, don't sleep. Use worship in the day and even in the night. Uh, the scholars, they said, that the, that the blessing of the nights of Dhul Hijjah 
and the blessing of the days of the Hijjah are equal. So whether you do worships in the day or worships in the night, they are, يعني, uh, they are of equal virtue. Uh, the days of Dhul Hijjah are special because part of the days of Dhul Hijjah is the day of Arafah. The day of Arafah, which is the ninth of Dhul Hijjah, the day that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will free most people than any other day from the hellfire. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us of them. And it is the day that Allah ta'ala descends to the heavens of this world and He stands proud, or Allah ta'ala shows pride before His angels to the believers that are standing on the plains of Arafah. And he declares that he has forgiven them all. And so this is a day that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is proud of his devoted servants. And so we should be of them. Also the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he said that fasting the day of Arafah for the one who isn't performing hajj, then it will forgive the past year of sins and the future year of sins. Uh, as well, the 10 days of Dhul Hijjah combine or include the 10th day of Dhul Hijjah, which is the day of Eid, which is the greatest day within, in Allah's estimation. The greatest day according to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is Yawm al-Nahar, the day of, of sacrifice, the day of Eid. And then after it is the day of Qar, the day that the people reside in Mina, which is the day after Eid. Because... The day of Eid is a day of great worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that's done in such an amount and all at once, not like any other day. It is the day where people throw the jamarat, uh, those who are in hajj, and they shave and shorten their hair for the sake of Allah. They perform tawaf more than any other time. They slaughter animals, whether those who are performing hajj, they slaughter the hadi for the sake of Allah. And even those who don't perform hajj, they slaughter the Uthiyah for the sake of Allah. Never in any other day is this done as an act of worship more than this day. And it is the day as Allah described in the Quran as Yawmul Hajj Al-Akbar, the day of the great hajj. So these are just some reminders inshallah the other mashayikh will address some of these things in more detail. But this is just gives you some understanding of the greatness of these days and perhaps they will act as an inspiration for us to encourage ourselves and encourage our wives and our children, as the Sheikh mentioned as well, that Sa'id ibn Jubayr, he used to make sure that everyone in his household, even the servants, he would wake them up and make sure that they are fasting the day of Arafah and, and at least uh, fasting the day of Arafah and to do and encourage your family to do the, the good deeds. If not in the whole 10 days, then at least fasting the day of Arafah we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept from us and to allow us and give us the ability to do the deeds that are most pleasing to him. Wallahu a'lam wa sallallahu wa sallam ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. And now I'd like to invite our dear brother, Sheikh Safwan Dadun, to present uh, about the virtue of the... Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم يا معلم إبراهيم علمنا ويا مفهم سليمان فهمنا اللهم فقهنا دينك واغفر لنا وارحمنا وتب علينا إنك أنت التواب الرحيم أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته The Udhiya or what is also known as the Qurban is the sacrificial animal that is offered to seek Allah Azza wa Jal's pleasure. 
during the days of Eid al-Adha, referenced in the Qur'an and the Sunnah, the Udhiyah or the Qurban is an act of worship which is based, based on the majority opinion, a Sunnah Mu'akkada, for the one who is able to do so. And the one offering the Udhiyah or the Qurban offers it on behalf of himself and his household. The Qurban or the Udhiyah, for it to be accepted, it must meet certain conditions. And I want your help to offer me some of these conditions. Who can help me? What are the conditions of the Udhiyah or the Qurban that it must meet so it can be accepted? In general, we're not going to go into detail. No, the, we're talking about the actual animal that is being sacrificed. Okay, that's a that's a that's a that's a, a hint. It's cheaper. It's cheaper. <laughs> yani, what the Sheikh is referencing is that it must not be, it must not have any defects or deformities. The udhiya or the qurban for it to be accepted must be of the an'am class of animals, which is the camel, the cow, the sheep, or the goat, and it must be of a certain age. And it must be offered after the prayer of Eid up until the sunset of the 13th day of the Hijjah. So the end of Eid. And the person that's offering this Qurban must do something. Uh, Abdullah, what were you saying? No, you said something about the nails. So the one that's offering the Qurban or the Udhiyah must do something in the first 10 days of the Hijjah. So from the beginning of the Hijjah up until his sacrifice has been offered, he must refrain from cutting hair and his nails. All acts of worship in Islam are based on the primary principle of submission, servitude and obedience to Allah with the goal to reach the highest levels of taqwa, God consciousness, piety, and righteousness. And we see this concept in all the acts of worship that we do. Be it salat, be it siyam, be it zakat, be it hajj. They all have these shared meanings of obedience, servitude and submission. And they all share the same goal of attaining taqwa. As Allah Azza wa Jal says in the Quran, Ya ayyuha nasu abudu rabbakum alladhi khalaqakum walladhina min qablikum la'allakum tattaqoon. O mankind, worship your Lord who created you and those before you that you may become righteous. And Allah Azza wa Jal says something regarding siyam as an example here. Ya ayyuha alladhina amanu, kutiba alaykum al-siyamu kama kutiba ala alladhina min qablikum la'allakum so, Siyam has been prescribed upon you like it was prescribed on the people before you or the nations before you so that you may become righteous, so that you may attain taqwa, so that you may attain this piety, this God consciousness. And the person that does these acts of worship without having this goal in mind, without having this goal to attain taqwa without being submissive in his acts of worship, worship, without having this servitude and this obedience to Allah Azza wa Jal through this worship, then Allah Azza wa Jal is in no need 
Allah Azza wa Jal is in no need of your worship. Allah Azza wa Jal wants from you to learn and to attain taqwa through your worship. As the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, and again, by way of example, for the one that fasts but does not leave his bad habits, Allah is not in need of him to leave his to eat and drink and get hungry, to leave his food and his water and to get hungry. The one, whoever does, the one that does not leave or give up false speech and acting upon it and ignorance, Allah is not in need of him to give up his food and his drink. With this being said, and without over, over dwelling on this point, the Qurban is an act of worship that is offered to Allah Azza wa Jal seeking his pleasure, seeking to attain taqwa, to attain piety, to attain God consciousness, to attain righteousness. And that Allah Azza wa Jal does not, from this animal does not receive anything other than your piety. As Allah mentions in the Quran regarding regarding the sacrificial animal, that their meats, the meats of this sacrificial animal, and their blood does not reach Allah Azza wa Jal. Better yet, what reaches Allah is piety from you. So the main intention, and the main goal, and the main purpose of your offering, of your sacrifice is that you attain taqwa, is that you attain righteousness and piety and God consciousness. What I want to share with you today is the origins of the story of the Udhiyah, where it came from and how we came about to do this act of worship and to offer it to Allah as an act of worship. Anyone know where the origins or how we got this act of worship or where it came from, the origin of it, of the Udhiyah of the... Huh? Uh, we all know this story. We, we all know this story. We know it from a young age. It's the story of Ibrahim alayhi salam and his son Ismail. Ibrahim is the perfect example of sacrifice. Ibrahim alayhi salam is the perfect example of submission and servitude to Allah azza wa jal. He's the perfect example of obedience. Ibrahim alayhi salam reached the high levels of taqwa to become al-Khalil, Khalil Allah azza wa jal. That he is the friend with the most perfect love. And he was described by Allah azza wa jal as a comprehensive leader who was inclined to truth and devotedly obedient, obedient to Allah azza wa jal. Inna Ibrahim kana ummatan qanitan lillah hanifa wa lam yaku min al-mushrikeen. He was thankful to Allah Azza wa Jal and submissive to all that which he sent him his way. Patient on all the hardships and the trials and the tests and the, and the tribulations that Ibrahim alayhi salam faced. All his tests, all his trials, all his tribulations, Ibrahim alayhi salam would turn to Allah Azza wa Jal seeking refuge only in Allah Azza wa Jal. And we know this story. In Ibrahim alayhi salam, when his, when his people shunned him and took him hostile and they exiled him. And they, before that, they wanted to kill him. How did they want to kill Ibrahim alayhi salam? 
They wanted to throw him into the fire. Did they succeed? We know the answer. قُلْنَا يَا نَارُ كُونِي بَرًا وَسَلَامًا عَلَىٰ إِبْرَاهِيمٍ When Ibrahim salam found that the persecution of his people and their hostility towards him increased, he left them in pursuit of guidance. He left his people seeking Allah Azza wa Jal, seeking to uphold the religion of Allah Azza wa Jal. وَقَالَ إِنِّي ذَاهِبٌ إِلَىٰ رَبِّي سَيَهْدِينَ And then Ibrahim salam said, Indeed, I will go to where I am ordered by my Lord. He will guide me. And he asked Allah Azza wa Jal to grant him an offspring. رَبِّ هَبْلِي مِنَ الصَّالِحِينَ فَبَشَّرْنَاهُ بِغُلَامٍ حَلِيمٍ He asked Allah Azza wa Jal to grant him a child to which Allah Azza wa Jal gave him the glad tidings of a forbearing boy. And so did his wife, the mother of Ismail, give birth to Ismail at a very old age. Anyone know the age of Ibrahim salam when Ismail was born? Or as is narrated, and anyone that answers this correctly, La. 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 One more. Ibn Kathir narrates that Ad, uh, Ibrahim السلام, was at the age of 86 when, when Ismail was born. When Ismail السلام, was born. You can imagine that after such a long time, how happy Ibrahim السلام, would be. How happy and rejoiceful that Allah had granted him after such a long life, granted him a child. The years went by and Ismail السلام, grew to the age where he could walk and talk, he could go and come, he could ask and be asked, he could ask for help and ask to be helped. And such was the age, the age of attachment. And every, any parent will know this, when, their, chan, when their, their son or their daughter can have a conversation with him, when their son or daughter can interact with them, they can ask them for help and they can be asked for help. This age is an age of attachment. When your child wants to emulate you and copy you and, and ask you for, for everything and anything, this is the age of attachment. And when Ismail reached this age, Ibrahim alayhi salam, seen a dream and what do we know about the dreams of the prophets truth and wahi it's revelation but the dream of the prophets is revelation so ibrahim alayhi salam seen a dream falamma balagha ma'ahu as-sa'ya qala ya bunayya inni ara fil manami anni adhbahuk fanzur madha tara when his son Ismail reached the age of exertion. Ibrahim told him, Oh my son, indeed I have seen a dream that I must sacrifice you. فَانْظُرْ مَاذَا تَرَى So see what you think. Listen to this household, this blessed pious household, to this blessed child and his response to his father at such a, a confronting command. I want to sacrifice you. First of all, this command to come to Ibrahim is very confronting. And then for him to pass this command on to his son and tell him of it is even more confronting. 
Ismail السلام's response was قَالَ يَا أَبَتِي إِفْعَلْ مَا تُؤْمَرُ سَتَجِدُنِي إِن شَاءَ اللَّهُ مِنَ الصَّابِرِينَ Oh my father, do as you are commanded by your Lord. You will find me if Allah wills from the steadfast and the patient. This is a great image of submission, of servitude and obedience to the command of Allah Azza wa Jal. One of them is submissive to a command that his Lord commanded him with. Even the heartless, even the emotionless would get affected, let alone an attached father. And the other receives the order or the command that he will be slaughtered. And his response was what? His response was submission. His response was servitude and obedience to the command of Allah Azza wa Jal, telling his father, Ya Abati, if'al ma tu'mar, do as you are commanded, you will find me from the steadfast. When both father and son reached these high levels of iman, these high levels of taqwa, this high level of submission and servitude to Allah Azza wa Jal, and you can just imagine, you can just imagine Ibrahim alayhi salam, taking his son and reaching to where he wants to offer him to Allah Azza wa Jal. His son, after a very long time without having children, he's taking the son that Allah had granted him as a, as a blessing, taking him and putting him, his, the coolness of his eye, putting him before him, to slaughter him. He can imagine how much submission and obedience and servitude this needs. And what did Ibrahim السلام, do at the time when he wanted to offer his son? He put him forehead down. So he does not have to look him in the eye when he is offering what he has to do. Allah Azza wa Jal mentions in the Quran that when they both submitted and Ibrahim alayhi salam put him forehead down وَنَادَيْنَاهُ أَيَّا إِبْرَاهِيمُ At that dying moment, at that instant, just before Ibrahim alayhi salam done what he was commanded to do, Allah called upon him وَنَادَيْنَاهُ أَيَّا إِبْرَاهِيمُ قَدْ صَدَّقْتَ الرُّؤْيَا We called upon him, O oh Ibrahim, you have O Ibrahim, you have done what you were ordered to do and you have fulfilled the vision. And thus we reward the good doers. And thus we, we reward the good doers. Indeed, this was a great trial that Ibrahim السلام, passed. And as a recompense, Allah Azza wa Jal ransomed his son with a great sacrifice that Ibrahim offered to Allah Azza wa Jal. And Allah recompensed him with a great mention among the later generations. His trial. His hardship and his sacrifice and his submission to Allah Azza wa Jal and his servitude became an example for the generations to follow, for the generations that came after him to copy and to learn from and to emulate. And Allah Azza wa Jal says, Inna 
كَذَلِكَ نَجِزِ الْمُحْسِنِينَ That thus we reward the doers of good. So when you do good and you do it for the sake of Allah Azza wa Jal, Allah will recompense you. When you stay away from haram and stand guard on the boundaries of Allah Azza wa Jal and abstain from that which He has made haram for the sake of Allah Azza wa Jal, Allah will reward you. When you are patient on the hardships that Allah sends your way for the sake of Allah Azza wa Jal, Allah will aid you and make a way out for you. So your qurban, the qurban that you offer or your udhiyah is more than just an animal that is sacrificed. Is more than just meat and blood. It's a statement of submission. Your qurban, your udhiyah is a statement of submission and servitude to Allah Azza wa Jal. It's a, it's a statement of obedience to Allah. Proclaiming that like Ibrahim alayhi salam was willing to sacrifice the most beloved to him for your sake, O oh Allah, I will slaughter, I will offer my desire for your sake, O oh Allah Azza wa Jal. I will offer that I stand on your boundaries, Ya Allah. Attending that which you have made lawful and staying away from that which is haram. Attending, being patient on that which you have trialed me with because I believe in you and I believe in your promise. And this statement is taqwa. This statement is God consciousness. It's piety. It's righteousness. This statement that you say to your Lord that I will attend and attend your commands and abstain away from your prohibitions, this is taqwa. And this is what Allah Azza wa Jal wants from you. And this is what we strive to attain from all the acts of worship that we do. I ask Allah Azza wa Jal that He allows us to attain taqwa and to reach high levels of submission and servitude to his sake. And I ask Allah Azza wa Jal to teach us and to increase us in understanding Innahu waliyu dhalik walqadiru alayh and until for the next speaker bi'idhnillah Azza wa Jal I can see him, he's glowing and he must come this way bi'idhnillah our brother, our older brother and our friend Sheikh Naseem Abidi Tafaddal. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wa ala أما بعد فالسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. صفوان شيخ صفوان I'm not sure what he wants from me. <laughs> what a beautiful introduction, but uh, it's والله uh, much more than I deserve. But I'm sure he's going to ask me something after Allah alam. Not having حسن الظن. Secondly, may Allah عز وجل reward you all for coming out tonight in this weather. I know a lot of people have stayed home, and a lot of people. If uh, they weren't coming, it was a justification for them not to attend. And people that were really excited to come if the conditions were perfect and wanted any excuse, seeing their own said, Alhamdulillah, I'm not coming. Even some of the speakers were thinking, maybe we don't come. So may Allah Azza reward you because the harder the deed is, the more rewarding it is. And when we talk about rewards in these great days, as you've been hearing about, these are the struggles that a person goes through. So Alhamdulillah, you've come. Not only in prayed in jama'ah, but now you're doing from the most blessed of things a Muslim can do, and that is to sit in the gathering of knowledge. And on top of all of them, it's extremely hard on the nafs. So may Allah Azza wa bless you all with that greatness. 
in this dunya and more importantly the hereafter. Dear brothers, my topic is some benefits taken from khutbah al-wada'ah. The day of Arafah, there is a khutbah. And the Prophet ﷺ performed hajj once. And in that hajj, he gave a khutbah, and it's known as khutbah al-wada'ah, the farewell sermon. And we will not go through all of it, even though it is short, except that we will focus on one, possibly two points regarding khutbah al-wada'ah and how we, especially in our time, need it and can benefit from it. And that is the sanctity of a Muslim's blood. That it is haram to spill the blood of a Muslim. The Prophet ﷺ, when he began as an introduction, his khutbah, his sermon, he told the people that he doesn't know if he's going to live to the next year. So pay attention to what he is going to say. Then, from the first of the advices of the Prophet ﷺ was, he said, Verily, your blood and your wealth is haram. It is sacred. It is prohibited for anyone to take unjustly. Like this blessed place, Yani Mecca, and its surrounding areas, and this blessed month, the month of Dhul Hijjah. Isn't it sacred? Doesn't the Sharia glorify it? Even more so is the blood and the wealth of a Muslim. When a person takes on, there is a time where a person is allowed to. The government has laws. For example, the implementation of the Sharia. A person killed another person, then they can get an eye for an eye. If a person committed an act like Ayyadun Bilal Ridda, he apostled out of Islam from the punishments under Sharia is that that person's life is taken if they do not repent to Allah Azza wa Jal. If a person was a muhsan, someone who has been married, and they commit zina, and they fulfill the conditions of being caught through the zina that they committed, their life could be taken. This is all implemented in Sharia. And this is taking a life or spilling blood with rights. As for what we see today, because we want to make sure that when we talk about Islam and we talk about knowledge, that we make sure it's practical. We can implement it right now. From what we see of people taking each other's lives as if it is nothing. Blood is being spilt by a Muslim, committed to a Muslim, and people think nothing of it. These people have no idea how severe the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is for those that kill without right. If we had any idea how bad it is, Wallahi would be so scared to harm a Muslim, even by a little tap. But unfortunately, for matters which do not benefit a person at all, matters of dunya, matters of pride, matters of area, matters of gang, matters of allegiances, matters of women, a person is willing as a first solution to go and take the life of the other. Where are you from the implementation of Islam? That same Muslim who went and killed another person, give him a piece of bacon to eat, he will say, no, no, I don't do that. It's haram, it's against my religion. Some of them, some, know that riba is haram and they say, I won't take riba because I don't want to feed my children haram. 
Some of them, they pray their five daily prayers because they know it's an obligation from Allah Azza wa Jal. So they know about Islam. And they know how important obligations are. And they know how severe certain sins can be. But the problem with many is that they submit to what is convenient for them and they commit Billah, what is convenient for them. If hijab is easy, we wear hijab. If growing the beard is easy, we grow the beard. If Salatul Jumu'ah is easy, we'll pray Salatul Jumu'ah. If giving Sadaqah is easy, we'll give Sadaqah. But when it comes to things that are a little bit hard, a person says, Wallah, it's too hard. They justify the wrong that they do. Lower your gaze, it's too haram. Don't use bad words, it's too haram. Don't, it's too hard. Don't speak about people, it's too hard. Don't get to environments of haram, it's too hard. Don't work in an environment that's haram. Don't do business in haram, it's too hard. What is convenient for you, you submit to. But what is hard? No, you make excuses for. We are not like the people of the book who Allah Azza wa said about them. Do you believe in some of the book and disbelieve in some? The religion that you know, that you submit to, that you attribute yourself to, you submit to that which is convenient for you. But that which is major in the religion, you have no problem committing ayyadhan billah, abadan. Rather the believer is someone who has the companions. anhum said, wa We hear and we obey. The believers are those who submit to the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ya believe, enter into Islam completely. When you become a Muslim, you submit yourself to Allah. And so you hold in high regard that which Allah holds in high regard. You are fearful of that which Allah Azza wa Jal told you there's a severe punishment for. So we want to learn about Dhul Hijjah. Why? Because it's great. Because the Prophet said that they're the best 10 days of the year. And what about the sins? After shirk, ayyadhan billah, after a person not praying, what is worse than taking the life of another person? Who, when we say innocent, doesn't mean they didn't do anything wrong. That's not always the case. But that you had no right to kill. If a person swore at another person, and a person killed him, we're not saying that the person who swore is innocent, meaning he done nothing wrong. No. But was it justified for that person to seek retaliation by killing the other person? Abadan. When he said in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what are you going to do? What are you going to say? Verily your blood and your wealth is prohibited upon you. It's sacred. Just like until you meet your Lord, just like this day is sacred and this month is sacred. When you think of Hajj, when you think of Arafah, the greatest day in Hajj, the most important day in Hajj. Without Arafah, there's no Hajj. And you think, Allahu Akbar, what a beautiful sight, what an amazing sight, what a glorified sight. The blood of an innocent Muslim and his wealth is more important in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran, وَمَا يَقْتُلْ مُؤْمِنًا مُتَعَمِّدًا فَجَزَاؤُهُ جَهَنَّمْ خَالِدًا فِيهَا وَغَضِبَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَلَا عَنَاهُ وَأَعَدَّ لَهُ عَذَابًا عَظِيمًا How many punishments Allah Azza wa mentioned? For this one sin here, five. Find me another sin where five punishments are mentioned. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, whoever kills a believer on purpose, and this is when it's not justified, when a person kills another person and he is not justified again, not that he didn't do anything wrong. Maybe he swore. Maybe he took a hundred dollars off you. Maybe he spoke to a person that you didn't like them to speak to. Maybe they physically abused another person. 
We're not saying completely innocent. But when you take the life of someone, you're not allowed to take the life of. What did Allah say? Whoever kills a believer on purpose, then his punishment, his compensation is what? Jahannam. Hellfire. Khalidan fiha. To abide therein forever. وَغَضِبَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ And Allah's anger is upon him. وَلَعَنَهُ And Allah curses him, meaning he's far removed from the mercy of Allah. وَأَعَدَّ لَهُ عَذَابًا عَظِيمًا And he prepares for him a severe torment. Tell me another sin that has that. Tell me another sin that has that. And a person may say, you know what? Okay, I'm going to kill and then I'm going to turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in repentance. There's a big issue here. When you want to repent to Allah Azza wa Jal, what are the conditions? Yalla, quickly, bismillah. There's four main ones and we're going to add a fifth one. What are the four main conditions of repentance? That you're sincere. Number two. That you regret the sin that you do. Naam. Number three. That you have firm resolve that you won't commit it again. You have to stop the sin that you're committing. What's the fifth condition? Like we already said that the person says, I'm not going to go back to it. If your sin has to do with another person's rights, that you fix that issue. You give that person their rights back. If a person, drink alcohol, a person committed zina, that's between them and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If a person swore, if a person listened to music, that's between them and Allah azza wa jal. Those four sins, those four conditions are there. Your repentance is easy, inshaAllah. When your right has to do with another person, for example, you owe someone a thousand dollars. You have to give that right back if you want Allah to forgive you. Why? Because Allah Azza wa is just. Allah Azza wa is just. So when you want to repent, Allah says, not a hadith, you know, this is metaphoric. Allah Azza wa figuratively says, that the sin between myself and yourself, not a problem. I can forgive that. But the rights of the other person, I can't forgive that right. Why? Because it won't be just for Allah to forgive the right of someone else. So imagine a person owes another person a thousand dollars. They repent to Allah Azza wa Jal. On the day of judgment says, okay, get a paradise. But the person is owed a thousand dollars. Ya Allah, what about my rights? Tayyib, if you owed a person a thousand dollars and they died, what happens? You can give it to the people that will inherit from it. There's some way of repentance. That if you killed someone unjustly, you killed someone unjustly, you did not have the right to kill them. How are you going to seek their forgiveness? A lot of people think blood money. No. Not blood money. Why? Because when you kill a person, there's different rights now. There's the right between you and Allah, and he committed a sin. There's a right between you and the family. And you killed that person, then yes, as a possible option is that they can even choose to kill you under Sharia, through the government, not on their own accord. Because that just leads to what we say, unfortunately. You kill him, he kills you. You kill him, he kills you. The Sharia will stop that. Number two, you give the blood money. That's the right of who? The dead person or the family? That's the right of the family. Not the right of the person. Tayyib, you got the right of Allah, the right of the person. And then you also have the right of the person that you killed. Question, how are you going to seek his forgiveness? Where is it going to have to happen? On the Day of Judgment. Imagine, dear brother, a Muslim, no matter how bad he is, doesn't he love Allah? A Muslim, no matter how bad he is, doesn't he have somewhere in his heart that he wants to repent before he dies? I want you to imagine this playing on a person's conscience. That you killed someone. Let's say you're in your 30s, you killed someone. 
Maybe you go to jail, maybe you don't. For the next 40, 50 years, maybe you're alive. You pray, you fast, you give sadaqah, you go to hajj, you go to umrah, you try and be good with your parents, you read the Quran. What about that person on the day of judgment, what he's going to do? On the day of judgment, are we forgiving? And are we selfless or we're selfish on the day of judgment? Because we understand the power of those hasanat and the danger of those sins. We're selfish on the day of judgment. So when you have to give that person his right back, when you have to give that person his right back, and he's going to take from your hasanat, and you committed the worst thing to him by taking his life, imagine how much he's going to take. Imagine you do good and good and good. And this is for the person who has hasanat. A person who has hasanat. Then a if a person doesn't have hasanat. What happens? How do you get that person's right? How do you give that person's right back? You take his sins, ayyadhan billah. So if you've done good, enough good, maybe you have enough to give him his right back. But we're talking about extreme rights. If you don't have that, ayyadhan billah, you take his sins. I want to ask you guys a question, logical question. Quran we spoke about. Sunnah of the Prophet we spoke about. Logically, you kill someone because you hate them, sah? You kill someone because you hate them. When you kill someone, it's like a war. You want to win that war. As they say, you may have won the battle, but you've lost the war. If you killed someone in this dunya, is this a battle or is this the end of the war? This is a battle. This is one side. On the day of judgment, imagine because you killed someone, you were a reason he went to Jannah because of how you oppressed him and because of the sins that you get because you couldn't give him his rights back, you fell into the hellfire because of it. Who won the war? That person. Wallah, how sad. Wallah, how sad. So on top of it being haram, on top of it sitting on your conscience, on top of it, on top of it, on top of it, on top of it, you could enter Jahannam because you killed that person. And a person, if he enjoys this dunya, he enjoys with pride or he enjoys with money. I lived 50 years in this dunya at the top of the game. Ahlan wa sahlan. One day in the akhirah is equivalent to how many years? Like 1,000 years from what we count, that's one day. One day. Like 1,000 years of what we count in this dunya. So even if you lived 100 years, the best of the best, you're still 900 years in deficit for one day, ayyadhan billah, in the whole fire. This is not something to belittle. This is not something to take lightly. This is something which we need to be very attentive of. And not only we say, okay, alhamdulillah, we're not going to kill anyone. Believe me, brother. Now, when you're sitting, you're not thinking of killing anyone. But the problem is, it's come that easy between people that people are actually thinking of it as a solution to solve their problems. Right now, between you and your business partner, alhamdulillah, it's asal, it's honey, there's no problem at all. But when things go bad and he owes you $500,000, now you actually start to think. Now you actually start to think. When there's an issue between you and your brother in law, alhamdulillah, there's no problems at all between you and your brother in law. He treats your sister the best. But ayyadhan billah, one day he comes and he's done X, Y, Z to your sister. A lot of people, the first thing they think about, he done that to my sister, let me show him he's a man. There's a million reasons why people do, do certain things. And when that fitna happens, that's when it's a test. Not now, alhamdulillah, I don't have enemies, I don't have problems, I've got no issue, my life is going fine, I'm thinking of killing someone. That's not when it happens. It's when you're in that test that a person needs to remind himself. And then we need to remind others that are following in these people's footsteps, that are hanging around certain people, or that look up to these people. We need to remind them of the dangers and severity of these things. The Prophet ﷺ said, لَوْ أَنَّ أَهْلَ السَّمَاءِ وَأَهْلَ الْأَرْضِ 
اشتركوا في دم مؤمن لأكبهم الله في النار If all of the people of the heavens and all of the people on earth they were, they were to share in the killing of one believer all of them if there's seven billion now let's just say a trillion if all of the people in the heavens and all of the people on earth all of them were to share in the killing of a Muslim طبعاً, unjustly Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said Allah Azur for them all in the hellfire. For who? For one believer. Allahu Akbar. For one believer. Allah Azza wa Jalla, you killed them unjustly. The punishment that's severe that all of them would be deserving of the hellfire. It's not something to take lightly. It's not something to take lightly. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Lazawil Dunya Ahwanu Alallahi min Qatli Mu'minin Bihari Haq. If the entire dunya was to be destroyed. The entire dunya was to vanish. The entire dunya, not Mecca, not Medina, not Al-Aqsa. The entire dunya was to go, was to vanish. It would not be like, it would not be equivalent to the killing of one believer without right. How do you think Allah is going to hold you accountable on the day of judgment? You all remember the hadith of the woman who entered the hellfire because of a cat. What did she do? She didn't feed the cat, nor did she let it get outside to stay from what Allah created from insects. The Prophet said she entered the hellfire because of a cat. One cat she oppressed, she entered where? The hellfire. Imagine if she oppressed a hundred cats, where should she be? A million cats, where, should, where would she be? She killed a million cats and a million dogs. What would her punishment be if she entered the hellfire because of one cat? I have the question, if the killing of one Muslim is hara on Allah Azza wa Jal, it's more important with Allah Azza wa Jal than the vanishing of the entire dunya. How do people sleep with themselves at night knowing I committed such a sin? Or how billah, are people tempted to commit such sins? We need to truly fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the best of our abilities. And these sins they're meant to be incomprehensible to the majority of people, and alhamdulillah they are. But it is a growing problem where people are taking the steps where these types of things are attractive. Because of money, because of pride, because of my family name, because of the gang I'm from. Remind yourself, dear brother, that when you're placed in the grave, none of these things at all will come to your aid. I know certain brothers that have millions of dollars from these things. Yes, we know of them. You have millions of dollars because you're a hitman. No problem. When you die, those millions of dollars, what are they going to get you? Okay, a golden casket, ala al-ayni wa ras What else? What else are they going to get you? A nice bouquet of flowers to put on your grave, no problem. What else? What are they going to get you? Ayyadun billah. On top of killing and the question we asked about, that money. The fact that people spoke about you when you would enter a room, people would nudge each other. Look at this person. That's Fulan. That's Fulan. People were scared. People were worried. If you caught someone up and you say, Akhi, this is Fulan. I'm telling you, do X, Y, Z. And the person gets scared and he does it. So you think, look who I am. You beat your chest. I'm King Kong. Look who I am. Look at what I can do. Look at how people are scared of me. And then you enter your grave. What is that glory that you had in this dunya? 
what's it going to do for you? In your grave, what's it going to do when Munkar and Nakir come to you? And I told you to sit up. You're going to be questioned. What are you going to do? What are you going to say? How are you going to react? Are you still going to be a man? When the person before the grave, when a person sees the angel of death, what does he do? His nafs, he's scared. His ruh tries to grab onto everything it can in the dunya. Why? Everything it can in his body. Why? Because it doesn't want to die. It doesn't want to be. It doesn't want to go to Allah. Because it knows what's coming. It gets scared. So the angel of death has to rip it out while the angels beat that person. Where are you going to go when the angel of death comes? What is the benefit? Fi'alan, what is the benefit? We need to think and we need to advise. And we hope that these brothers turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We hope that these brothers, they realize before it's too late. Never, ever, 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 ever think that you can be safe from the, the qada of Allah azza wa jal. The people who thought we're safe, they thought that our fortresses will save us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Even if you're in high towers, if death comes to you, it's coming. Be prepared for death. Be prepared for death, dear brother. Be prepared for death, dear brother. Repent from the sins that you have committed. Maybe, maybe there's a way for you to be able to give that person their rights back. You've killed someone, give their family their rights. Go and give them that blood money. Maybe you're thinking now about killing someone, taking revenge, whatever it may be. Fear Allah Azza wa Jal and don't do it. Because you're not going to be benefited from it in this dunya nor the hereafter. For those that are still young and they're not around that saying, Hamd, stay away from the things that get you there. Us listening to music, I'll kill this guy and I'll kill that guy and I'll unload around this guy and I'll drop a clip in this guy and I'll do X, Y, Z. Stay away from it. Why? The more you listen to it, the more it's going to be glorified in your heart. The more you're going to want to be like that person. The more you're going to want to act like them. The more you're going to want to emulate their lives. What does it get you at the end? Everyone here knows Tupac. Everyone knows Tupac. When we talk about Tupac, we still listen to Tupac till today. He died over 25 years ago and we still listen to his music until today. And when we listen to Tupac, it's all about I'm going to ride on my enemies and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Yami, you died at 25 years old. He died at 25 years old. We don't learn that from Tupac. We're listening to him to be pumped up to go be the biggest gangster and he died when he was 25. Did he benefit from any of his words? From any of his bravadery? Now he's meeting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now he has to deal with the consequences of his actions. Do you think he's prepared? Do you think if he had a chance to come back and tell us in one last song what to do, do you think he would say any of the things that he said? Or do you think he would say to the people, O oh people, fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Leave this stupidity and submit yourself to the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because that is the only thing that will benefit you in reality in this dunya and, again, more importantly, in the hereafter. And this is what we conclude with. Let us fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and prepare for that day. And as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Hadith Qudsi, فَمَنْ وَجَدَ خَيْرًا فَلْيَحْمَدِ اللَّهِ Whoever finds goodness, let him thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَمَنْ وَجَدَ غَيْرَ ذَلِكَ And whoever finds anything other than goodness, فَلَا يُلُمَنَّ إِلَّا نَفْسًا Let him blame no one except himself. This is one benefit from the benefit of Khutbah al-Wadi'ah. I applaud you all to go and, employ you all to go and read Khutbah al-Wadi'ah and read the benefit second from Khutbah al-Wadi'ah. 
هذا والله اعلم صلى الله محمد وعلى اله ومحمد وصحبه اجمعين وجزاكم الله خيرا بسم الله الحمد لله والصلاه والسلام على رسول الله وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم ان شاء الله won't take too much time uh, and we'll wrap it up inshallah many people don't know uh, as i myself didn't know and this is why يعني, uh, was chosen to share this on this occasion that and when we uh, that there's a lot of um, ignorance when it comes to uh, the performance of Hajj because as you know we're all talking about Dhul Hijjah, Dhul Hijjah and all of the actions of Dhul Hijjah and the Uthiyah and uh, Shaykh Nasim spoke about uh, the Khutbah of the Prophet Sallallahu on the day of Arafah, Khutbatul Wada' and now we come up to the Hajj and the Hajj is one of the greatest actions that you can do like if there's anything that you could do if you had the opportunity to do wouldn't it be for every Muslim wishes he could perform Hajj for those that have never performed Hajj, it's, it should be the wish of every Muslim to perform Hajj sooner rather than later. Even those who have performed Hajj before, they can't wait to perform Hajj again. And this is, this is a good sign, this is a sign of a believer, this is a sign of his faith. Allah Ta'ala says, فَجْعَلْ أَفْئِدَةً مِّنَ النَّاسِ تَهْوِي إِلَيْهِمْ Make the heart, as the dua of Ibrahim السلام, make the hearts of the people to turn to that place, to Mecca, long to go there. And this is يعني, uh, the reality. Well, I have even met non-Muslims that when they see the Hajj on the news, because they put it on the news every year, they talk about the Hajj. Wallahi, non-Muslims, they say, I wish I can go to see the Hajj. They say, you can, just be a Muslim and you can go. They say, no. <laughs> anyway, so in regards to the Hajj, a lot of people don't know that there are, because we know that there's Hajj and there's Umrah. These are the rituals. There's Hajj and Umrah. Hajj is the obligation. And Umrah is a, is a minor form. Hajj can only be performed in these days of Dhul Hijjah. Umrah can be performed in any time. But even when it comes to Hajj, there is three rituals that can be performed for a valid Hajj. Three rituals. That's uh, uh, probably something that many people didn't know. Now the first one is called Ifrad which is Hajj by itself. And that's probably what you'd, what you'd assume. And that is to come to Mecca with the sole intention and purpose to perform Hajj. Okay? But there is something else which is called uh, joining, doing Umrah and Hajj together. Okay? And if you could go to Hajj, wouldn't you want to do both together? And it's like, for example, coming to the masjid, praying sunnah prayer, and then also praying the fard prayer. So from Allah's mercy is that He has allowed for us to perform umrah and hajj together in one pilgrimage, in one travel. And these can be in two forms. The first form is qiran, whereas the hajj and the umrah are done together in the one ritual. And so the way that it's done... So we have, we said there's three types. There's Ifrad, which is Hajj by itself, and there's Qiran, which is Umrah and Hajj together. But in reality, the Ifrad and Qiran look exactly the same. They look exactly the same. Yani what's, what you do is exactly the same. So someone will ask them, why not just do Hajj and Umrah together? I'll answer that at the end. So how is it done? 
when a person comes to Mecca, uh, then a person should do what's called tawaf al-qudum, which is to do tawaf around the Kaaba for coming into Mecca. This is for the one who comes into Mecca, so it's not really related to the Hajj. The Hajj, as may have been mentioned, that the main aspects of Hajj is Arafah, going to Arafah. So what a person does is that if they come to Mecca first, then they can do tawaf, which is called tawaf al-qudum, the welcoming tawaf, or the when you first enter Mecca tawaf. And then if you're doing hajj ifrad or hajj qiran, you can, after doing your hajj tawaf, your tawaf al-qudum, sorry, you can also do the sa'i of hajj. You can also do the sa'i of hajj, which is to go between Safa and Marwa, and that will be counted so you don't have to do it later when it comes to the rituals of Hajj. As I said, the rituals of Hajj usually begin with Arafah, you know, of, of course wearing the Ihram clothes and making the intention from the Miqat, going to Arafah, and then after Arafah, staying in a place called Muzdalifah, an open land, and then staying there for the night, praying that Maghrib and Isha, then sleeping and then waking up, praying Fajr. And then after Fajr, going to Mina, stoning the Aqaba, stoning the place where Ibrahim stoned the devil. So we remember the defiance of Ibrahim to the devil. And so it's as if we are saying, whenever the devil comes to tempt us to disobey, Allah will do what Ibrahim did and say, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, and will refuse the, ins- the insinuations of the shaitan. And then we slaughter the Hadi. As a way of sacrifice, just like Ibrahim السلام, he slaughtered the, the, the ram or the sheep as a sacrifice instead of sacrificing his son to show that we are willing to sacrifice ourselves and our sons and everything that we own for the sake of Allah. And then we shave our heads, which is a sign of as well subordination and humbleness. Just like when you go to the army or when people go to the army, what do they do first? They shave their head to, to show that you uh, under, under their command. So we're under the command, not of the army, not of the general, we're under the command of the king, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's a sign that I'm willing to give up. A lot of people, they say, Sheikh, are you sure I have to, give, I have to shave my head? My hair, it's uh, very special hair. Can't I just take a little snips here and there? Akhi, you can't even sacrifice your hair for the sake of Allah. You think you're going to sacrifice your life for the sake of Allah? Sacrifice your hair for the sake of Allah? This is a small token. Sacrifice, shave our hair, and then by that time we can take off the ihram and we go and we perform tawaf around the Kaaba, which is called tawaf al-hajj or tawaf al-ifadah. And so, and now you come now clean, because remember the one who performs hajj, he comes like the day he is born from his mother. So now you are a fresh new baby. If you want, if imagine your book of deeds has been wiped clean, and now you have a new book, what would you want the first thing to be written in your book? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you want that the first thing you did is to perform tawaf and show your devotion and your submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the best possible way in performing tawaf. Now, along with tawaf al-hajj, there is the sa'i of hajj. But if you have done hajj ifrad or qiran and you've already done it with tawaf al-qudum, then you have to do the sa'i of, uh, sa'i of hajj at this point. And then the main actions of the hajj have been completed. 
What remains is to enjoy to enjoy being the guest of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, staying in Mina, eating and drinking and remembering Allah, and every day going and showing your defiance of the shaitan by stoning the three positions of the shaitan, the, uh, the, the Jamara al-Sughra wal-Wusta wal-Kubra. For every day, minimum of two days, and recommended to stay three days. And that is pretty much the Hajj. Then when you intend to leave Mecca, you farewell Mecca by doing a farewell tawaf. Last round. So that you, the last thing that you do, the last memory you have of Mecca is doing tawaf. Okay? So that's pretty much what the hajj is. In summary. So the, for the one who does hajj by itself, he does those actions. For the one who does umrah with hajj, he does those same actions. So what's the difference then? Why would I just do hajj when I can get hajj and umrah? The difference is that you have to have the intention in the beginning. So if you just had the intention when you began your ihram just for hajj, then you have to do only hajj. But if you began your intention of umrah and hajj together, qiran, then you have that. There's another practical difference, is that if you have made umrah and hajj, then you've done two rituals in one. Because normally for every travel to Mecca, you should do one ritual. And since you have saved yourself from another travel, then you slaughter an animal as a thanks to Allah and as a sort of an expiation instead of coming for another ritual you've done two in one. Okay, so there are the, two types of rituals of hajj. Hajj by itself, ifrad, and hajj with umrah, qiran. There's, remember we said how many types? Three. So there's one more, which is also hajj and umrah together, but not joined together, split up. You come in one travel, so you come to Mecca and you just perform Umrah by itself. Umrah is tawaf around the Kaaba seven times and Saf, going between Safa and Marwa seven times and then you cut your hair. And you've done Umrah. That's what Umrah is. Okay, and then you stay in Mecca and then when Hajj time comes you just make from your place in Mecca, from your place of residence in Mecca you make your intention for Hajj and you do all of the rituals of Hajj. So... So it's similar to Qiran in that uh, you do Umrah and Hajj and also you have to do a sacrifice but the difference is you split between the Umrah and the Hajj. So now you have a break, you can wear no, after you do your Umrah you can wear your normal clothes, you can cohabit with your wife and do all the, all the things that are normally done and there's no prohibitions on you until you make the Ihram for Hajj and then you can. But when you do Qiran you must stay in a state of ihram the whole time until you finish the rituals. Now there's a question. What should I do? Well, often people ask, what did the Prophet ﷺ do? The Prophet ﷺ, he performed Hajj Qiran. He did Hajj Qiran, which is Umrah and Hajj together. But he was taking with him the sacrificial animal. And so when they got to Mecca, Rasulullah said, whoever doesn't have the sacrificial animal, then let him just do Umrah, get out of the state of Ihram, and then let him perform Hajj later. So he commanded the companions to do Tamattu'. They said, but how can we get out of Ihram? They felt like they're doing something bad, or they're committing a sin, or they're not fulfilling you know, the, the Hajj in the most perfect way. He said, if I had my chance again, لَوَسْتَقْبَلْتُ مِنْ أَمْرِ مَسْتَدْبَرْتُ لا ما سقت الهدي ولا جعلتها عمره 
If I had my chance again, I wouldn't have taken the sacrificial animal with me and I would have just made an umrah like I'm telling you to do. So uh, the Prophet so the scholars they said, well the, the Prophet وسلم, did Hajj Quran. But some scholars they said, well to do Tamattu' is better because that was the recommendation of the Prophet وسلم, to his companions and that's what he commanded his companions to do. There is a narration that the Prophet وسلم, did Ifrad and a narration he did Quran and a narration he did Tamattu'. But he only done one hajj. So they said it's just depending on how you look at it. Meaning that he began, the, يعني, uh, that, uh, that he, he did hajj with the rituals of hajj because as we said, the rituals of ifrad and qiran look the same. Uh, or that he came uh, يعني, with, uh, with tamattu' because he commanded the tamattu' or that he did qiran, wallahu alam, is that the actual ritual that he did was, was qiran. But... Yani the scholars again debated which is the most virtuous, which is the most rewarding. Some scholars said Quran because that's what the Prophet ﷺ did. Some said Tamattu' because that's what the Prophet ﷺ recommended. And some said Ifrad because you're coming dedicated only to do the ritual of Hajj. And Allahu A'lam, whatever Allah blesses you to do, then do it inshallah. But most of the Hajj groups and whatever they do, Tamattu' because it's the easiest and it's the recommendation of the Prophet ﷺ. The last thing, inshallah, that's uh, been asked of me in the in my uh, uh, speech is to speak about the virtues of Arafah. Now, Arafah, as we have mentioned, and Sheikh Khalid, Jazallahu Khairan, has mentioned in the introduction, Arafah is one of the ten days of Dhul Hijjah. Now, first and foremost, Dhul Hijjah is one of the sacred months. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, إِنَّ عِدَّةَ الشُّهُورِ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ 12 شَهْرًا فِي كِتَابِ اللَّهِ يَوْمَ خَلَقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ مِنْهَا أَرْبَعَةٌ حُرُمْ فَلَا تَظْلِمُوا فِيهِنَّ أَنفُسَكُمْ That the number of months with Allah is 12 months. From when Allah created the heavens and the earth. And of the 12 months, there are four sacred months. Three of them are consecutive, which is Dhul Qa'da, Dhul Hijjah and Muharram. And one is isolated by itself, which is the month of Rajab. So Dhul Hijjah is one of the sacred months. And the day of Arafah is in the ninth of Dhul Hijjah. So it's within the sacred months. So it shows that it's a special day. And especially Allah said, do not oppress yourselves in these days. And do not commit sin in those days. As well, Arafah is one of the first ten days of Dhul Hijjah that we mention many times that it's, it's the most blessed and most beloved days to Allah. Uh, as Allah Ta'ala says, uh, uh, it's one of the days of Hajj. As Allah Ta'ala says, Al-Hajju Ashhurum Ma'lumat, that Hajj is one of the known days. And they are the days in which you are allowed to initiate the ritual of Hajj in. Okay? Uh, and the day of Arafah is one of the ten blessed days of Dhul Hijjah, the ten days of Dhul Hijjah, as Allah Ta'ala says, Liyashhadu manafi alahum wa yadhkuru smallahi fi ayyamin ma'lumat, so that they can witness to benefits for themselves and remember Allah in numbered days. And the numbered days are the 10 days of Dhul Hijjah. And the, uh, the day of Arafah is one of the 10 days of Dhul Hijjah that Allah made an oath by in the Quran. وَالْفَجْرِ وَلَيَالٍ عَشْرِ And the, the 10 nights refer to the 10 nights and the 10 days of Dhul Hijjah. And they are, uh, the 10 days of Dhul Hijjah are the days that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, uh, has uh, يعني, doing righteous deeds in those days are the most beloved deeds done for the sake of Allah, as we have heard time and time again, uh, there is no days, there is no action that is more beloved to Allah than actions done 
in the 10 days of Dhul Hijjah. They said not even jihad in the cause of Allah. He said not even jihad in the cause of Allah, except a man who leaves with himself and his wealth and returns with neither of them. The day of Arafah is the day that Allah completed the religion. The verse where Allah Ta'ala he says, اليوم أكملت لكم دينكم وأتممت عليكم نعمتي ورضيت لكم الإسلام دينا Today I've perfected for you your religion. Uh, I've completed for you your religion. I've perfected my favor upon you and has chosen Islam as your religion. One of the Jews came to Umar radiallahu anhu and he said, if this verse was revealed to us, the children of Israel, we would have made that a day of celebration. Umar radiallahu anhu, he said, Indeed, I know when that was revealed and where, where that was revealed. It was revealed to the Prophet ﷺ on the day of Arafah while the Prophet ﷺ was standing on Arafah on a Friday. Fasting the day of Arafah is a virtuous fast. The Prophet ﷺ, he said that fasting, uh, that fasting, that, uh, that the Prophet ﷺ used to fast the day of Arafah and he said that whoever fasts the day of Arafah then the past year of sins and the future year of sins uh, will be forgiven. And it's something established that the Prophet ﷺ used to fast three days of every month. And the day, the ninth day of Dhul Hijjah, which is the day of Arafah, and the ninth day of, of uh, and the day of Ashura, sorry, which is the tenth day of Al Muharram, and three days of every month. And uh, the first Monday, of every month and as well uh, the Thursday. So the Prophet ﷺ used to fast these days alayhi salatu wasalam. And so, what's, uh, so yani what we learn is fasting the day of Arafah. Uh, as well, the day of Arafah is a day of celebration for the Muslims. The Prophet ﷺ, he said the day of Arafah, the day of An-Nahr, and the days of Mina are the days of Eid for the people of Islam. And that's why we begin the takbir of Eid from the Fajr of the day of Arafah. Also, dua on the day of Arafah is the best day to make dua. The Prophet ﷺ said, Khairu dua, dua yawmu Arafah. The best dua is making dua on the day of Arafah. And the Prophet ﷺ, he said, It is the day that Allah frees most people from the hellfire. He said, Ma min yawmin akhtharu min an yu'taqallahu fihi abdan min an-nar min yawmi Arafah. There is no day in which Allah will free more people from the hellfire than the day of Arafah. It is the day that Allah is proud of his servants on that day. On, uh, on the day of Arafah, Allah is proud of his servants, uh, uh, especially those who are in, who are in Arafah, uh, and he's proud before his angels. As well, it is, as I mentioned, recommended to do takbir from the Fajr prayer, from after the Fajr prayer of Yom Arafah, and to do it after each obligatory prayer, starting from the Fajr prayer of the day of Arafah. Arafah itself is the pillar of Hajj. It's the, actually the only pillar of Hajj. Because if you do Arafah, then you've made Hajj. And if you miss Arafah, you've missed all of Hajj. Whereas if you do Arafah and you miss something, it can be made up. But if you miss Arafah, you've missed Hajj. So it is the main pillar of Hajj, as the Prophet ﷺ, he said, Al-Hajj Arafah. I'll give you something practical that we can, inshallah, part with. Uh, as I mentioned, that it's recommended to fast the day of Arafah, and it's very important to make dua on the day of Arafah. And the Prophet ﷺ gave us a recommendation of what to say. He said, 
وخير ما قلت أنا والنبيين من قبلي لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد وهو على كل شيء قدير So say this as much as you can on the day of Arafah لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له There is no God worthy of worship except Allah Alone without any partners وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد To him belongs the dominion To him belongs all praise وهو على كل شيء قدير And he is able over all things this is a praise of Allah and it's also a dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who will give you so much blessings from saying this. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless us in these uh, blessed days to do righteous deeds and to forgive our sins. This program was presented by Al Bayan Radio, the voice of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah.